late in high school, I got very interested in architecture. This was, this was right after, I, I shared this morning in our discipleship class, um, I, this was right after my youth pastor told me that I was not cut out for ministry. And um, he said, go and do something else. Find something else to get interested in. And so I did. I got very interested in, in, in architecture. I would read about architecture. I would look at, at, at house plans. And if that doesn't sound exciting, then you should try it. It really is. I would look at house plans. I would look at floor plans and get very, very excited. But the thing that I enjoyed doing the most was sitting and drawing. I would, I would get large pieces of paper like this. I would get my scales out, spread them out on, on a table or on the board, on a board. I'd get my, my, my pencils out and I would just start drawing house plan. I would draw house plan after house plan after house plan. I would get it all designed perfectly. This is my dream home. This is it right here. And then I'd take that, clear it, and get another one out, and I'd design another one. And this is my dream home. And this is exactly what it's going to look like. And every single time I would draw a floor plan, I would design it around a particular room or a particular a key element that the house, everything else was going to be focused around and built around. I remember one, one concept that I just kept coming back to was waterfall. I always wanted a waterfall in my house. And that waterfall would, would flow through the, the, the great room and then there would be a stream that just flow, flowed throughout the entire house. We don't have a waterfall in the parsonage yet. And if we do have a waterfall, our trustees are going to hear about it. Uh, but I remember drawing these, these floor plans and always having it around a key element or a, a, a room that was everything else was focused around. And then, just a few years back, not long ago, my parents came to me and they, they were considering building their dream home. And my mom said, would you give us some ideas? Would you sketch some, some things out for us? Absolutely! So I, I didn't hesitate. I, I ran to my room, got, got at my desk, put, the, put the, uh, the paper there, and I just started sketching. I started drawing. And the next morning, I went out and I laid it out on the table for her. And I said, here it is, Mom. This is your dream home. And I laid it all out for her. And I, I explained the rooms. I explained how everything was going to flow and, and how this room was going to go into this room and then this room and why it was going to work perfectly for them. And then she brought it to my attention that I had failed to do one thing. One thing that I forgot in the entire process of designing her dream home. I never asked her, how do you want your house designed? Never did I ask that question of her. It was my design. This is what you want. I know it. And so she said, you didn't ask me what I wanted. In fact, I have to tell you, the master bedroom was a little cottage out back. It's awesome. But it was mine. I mean, it was my idea. It was my, my concept. And that's what everything else went through. And so she said, you didn't ask me, how do you want your house designed? Now I told you today we are starting a new series called House Plan. And over the course of the next few weeks, we are going to be talking about our lives as the house. We're going to be talking about the, the priorities that we have in life, the, the commitments that we have in our lives. Now, as we do this, I want to warn you, 
then it may require for some of us some reconstruction, even some demolition in our lives. As walls are torn down, doorways are opened up, so to speak, in our lives to make room for God's house plan for our lives. God's plan for our future. Are you with me? Are you ready? But my plan at the, at the conclusion of this series is that each one of us, my hope rather, not my plan, my hope at the conclusion of this is that we walk away with house plans, plans for, for our lives that are well designed, well constructed, and will last throughout time. But it's going to require the Holy Spirit. So let's go to God. God, we, we just pray, Lord, that you would guide and direct us in the midst of this series. We pray, God, that you would help us, Lord, to consider, each one of us individually, Lord, to consider that question. How do you want your house designed? Is there a key element? Is there a key room, Jesus, that you would have us design our lives around that priority or that commitment, Jesus? Let us know, God, how our priorities align with, with that key commitment in our lives. You, Jesus, being the the central focus of everything else. Jesus, lay it out for us over the course of the next few weeks, Jesus, how you would have our line, our, our lives planned out. Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen. Let's continue to worship. Please stand. Field, and I couldn't help as I as I was driving through the, the city streets, I couldn't help but see the, the banners of Abraham Lincoln hanging. I couldn't help but, but notice that many of the buildings, many of the streets, even parks, a couple of parks there are named after Abraham Lincoln. Our 16th president became a prominent figure in Springfield, Illinois. You know the story, don't you? You went, you went through history. I don't have to tell you all this. Um, but it was in 1858 that Lincoln uh, became and really, really started, started to take on some uh, notoriety as a political figure. 1858, he ran as the state for the state Senate, uh, and he gave a speech to the Republican delegation in 1858. That speech was called, A House Divided Cannot Stand, or A House Divided, rather. And he begins his speech... With the very words of Jesus, he proclaims these words. They're written in your bulletin for you this morning. A house divided against itself cannot stand. I believe, he continues, this government cannot endure permanently half slave and half free. I do not expect the union to be dissolved. I do not expect the house to fall. But I do expect... It will cease to be divided. It will become all one thing or all the other. There's a lot of truth in all of those statements. And he continued on and on and on in his speech. But even to this very day, this speech, even though Lincoln lost the election, this speech is well known and well circulated. There's so much truth to this. And although uh, Abraham Lincoln was speaking to and about the nation at this time, a nation that was starchly divided uh, by, by slavery, uh, which half the nation wanted it to be a slave nation, the other half of the nation, so to speak, wanted it to be a free nation in which slaves were, were released. Although Lincoln was talking about the nation of 
the United States at the time, what I want us to do is to consider these words from Abraham Lincoln, these words based on Scripture. I want us to consider these from, the, from a spiritual aspect, from a, a spiritual point of view. Let's consider Jesus' original words found in Mark chapter 3. Beginning with verse 24, Mark 3, verse 24. Now you can find these, these very same words in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But here they are, Mark 3, 24. If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. No one can enter a strong man's house unless he first ties up the strong man. Then he can rob his house. We're going to come back to those, uh, those words here in a minute. But it's based on a house divided against itself cannot stand. So first, we have to ask ourselves, what does a divided house look like? Because I want us to evaluate whether we, ourselves, our lives are divided. So we must decide, d d define what a divided house looks like. I'm going to read uh, first, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 6. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14. This is what the Apostle Paul said regarding a divided house, defining a divided house. In regards to our relationships, 2 Corinthians 6, 14, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? Now clearly, clearly, Paul is talking about our relationships here when he says don't be yoked together with an unbeliever. And he talks about righteousness. He talks about wickedness. Saying that there's no common ground there. Now, once again, we, we touched on this very passage in our discipleship class this morning. Talking about divided relationships and how a house is divided in their relationships. And... What I said there, I want to say here is, I bring this up to you, but this is a very personal issue, isn't it? When we talk about, about uh, our relationships and, and it says don't be yoked together with an unbeliever, this of course does not mean, and I, I could tell you today, Paul is not instructing us to have nothing to do with unbelievers. No, instead, we go back to the words of Jesus in Matthew 5 where he said, be the salt of the earth. That we're to go out and we're to, to be among the people, even those that are unbelievers, and we're to preserve and we're to, to maintain and we're to, 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 to be that salt that affects the world. And so, if we take these words from Paul and we say, well, that means that we shouldn't be involved with unbelievers, guess what? The evangelism never happens. The gospel message never goes out. But then we can jump to the, the other side and we can say, well, in our relationships then, in our close relationships, our marriages and the, the close family that we have, we should not be yoked, linked together with an unbeliever. Well, as I said, that's a very personal issue, isn't it? And that's not something that can be solved by me proclaiming my, my view, my interpretation on the Scripture to you today. I, I'm, a, I'm a flawed human being. Amen? Praise the Lord. I'm a flawed... I'm glad somebody amen that. I'm a flawed human being. And here's what I, here's what I say to you is, 
If you're wrestling with the issue of, of uh, a house divided in your relationships, go to the scripture. Jesus had a lot to say about your relationships. He had a whole lot to say about your relationships. Seek out uh, someone else as well to, to talk through some of the, the relationships in your life. But a house divided absolutely, uh, absolutely encompasses our relationships, doesn't it? Let's go another step further and talk about our, our words, even our thoughts. James chapter 3. James chapter 3. And this is what James had to say in chapter 3, verse 10. The brother of Jesus, this is what he has to say about a house divided in relation to our words and even our thoughts. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Let me add to this, my sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can salt produce fresh, a salt spring produce fresh water. In our thoughts and in our words, we, there can be no division. There should be no division. Which means that when we come together and we praise the Lord and we say, glory, hallelujah, I'm cleansed, we say that, don't we? We sing about that, don't we, I think? That means that we shouldn't hit the street and go to lunch and start talking evil about our brothers and sisters in Jesus' name. Did you hear about sister so-and-so? Yeah. Oh, she's far worse than I am, right? Did you see what they were wearing today? Oh, that's horrible. I can't believe they'd wear that to church. I can't believe they'd let their kids do that. We don't say that, do we? See, because here's the thing. I, I was talking to a friend this last week, and I said, one of the, 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 one of the sins that we have kind of endorsed in the church for whatever reason, and, and, and myself... I'm guilty as, as anyone else, as guilty as anyone else. One of the, the sins that we have endorsed in the church is the sin of gossip. It's got to stop. We've got to address that. Am I making anybody nervous? If I'm making you nervous, that means you're guilty. That's the Holy Spirit working on you, not me. We've got to address this because for as, for as long as I've been alive, I've heard people say, well, the church is filled with hypocrites. And for a while, we, we, we just tried to brush that off and say, well, that's where hypocrites belong, isn't it? Amen. Hallelujah. Bring the hypocrites in. But they're not talking about new Christians. They're talking about us. Those of us who have been around for many, many decades following Jesus, and yet we, we say one thing and we do another. Or we proclaim one thing and we live another way. See, they're talking about us when they say hypocrites. I think that's enough. I'll go on. Matthew 6, 24. I, I'm going to get to a lighter topic and talk about money. Matthew 6, 24. But I can stand on this because these are the very words of Jesus. Here he says, Matthew 6, verse 24. He says this, No one can serve two masters. You see, remember, we're talking about a divided house. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now what does that mean? Practically speaking, what does that mean? Well, that means that if I'm rich, that I have to give it all away? 
Not necessarily, but no, I'm not brushing that off. If that's what God calls you to, that's what God calls you to, right? Hit your knees and, and pray. But it does mean that if, if your devotion to your money looks more like devotion than your devotion to Jesus Christ, then something is wrong in your life. Something is wrong in your home. No one can serve two masters. Remember Abraham Lincoln's words in his speech. I do not expect the union to be divided. I do not expect the house to fall, but I do expect that we will become all of one thing or all of another. See, it's the same thing that Jesus was saying here. You cannot serve two masters. You will learn to hate one and love the other. That's just the way it is. In our Wednesday morning Bible study, we've been going through the, the book of Revelation, and right now we're, we're working through the, the initial chapters there where John is writing letters to the different churches and the different pastors of these churches, and in each one, well, six out of seven, it comes back to they have a divided heart and a divided church and a divided commitment to Jesus Christ. And as James would say, my brothers, my sisters, this should not be. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Let's go on. I stepped on all of your toes yet? Stepped on mine a few times. You see, but what we're working toward is a house that is united. A house where, where division is, is removed in our time and in our actions, in our, our words and in our thoughts, in our relationships and in our money. A united house puts Jesus as the, the center of the, the, the design. See, I, I brought these up here. My kids were playing with them up here in the front pew, and they kind of messed it up for me. But praise the Lord for kids, right? But as I look at, I, I, I look at a, a floor plan, right? I talked earlier about about the way the way a floor plan is is laid out. A lot of thought goes into a lot of thought goes into the the way it is designed. But the truth of the matter is this, a lot of Christians, a lot of believers, a lot of good-hearted, church-going people, they have designed their house in such a way that if Jesus was eliminated, no one, including them, would notice any difference. And you know it's the truth, that Jesus could be removed from their life entirely and they would say, wow, I don't really notice any difference. I'm not lacking any joy that I previously had when I was following Jesus. I'm not lacking any purpose in my life that I previously had when I was following Jesus. Nobody around me notices any difference in the way I, I speak or the, the way I act, the way I, I give. Nobody notices any difference. You see, but the, the truth of the matter is we've designed our house and we've called ourselves Christians, but the truth of the matter is if Jesus can be removed, then maybe we need to look at our relationship and say, I've never really been a Christian in the first place. And I've never really truly followed Jesus. But that's not you, is it? And that's not me. So let's go on. 
My other thought is that some have designed their house, their life, and they, instead of designing their, their, their house and their plan and putting Jesus at the, the center of this and focusing everything else around Jesus, some of us, even at portions of our life, we have designed our house and we put Jesus in some back bedroom closet. <coughs> Maybe the door is even locked. Yeah, we go back there every, every few days. We visit him. We might even go into the closet with him and shut the door and say, hit our knees and you know, really, really have a, a couple of minutes with Jesus, heart to heart. But when we're done, we get up, we leave that closet, turn the light off, shut the door, even lock it. Nobody knows that we've had that moment with Jesus. Other times, we say we've designed our house around Jesus. Other Christians, other believers, they don't even let Jesus pass the entryway of their home. He, he gets in there. He's there. But they think Jesus lives at the church. Right? And they, they visit Jesus. That's where, that's where Jesus lives. And he comes over to visit. He makes it into the entryway. But the only reason he makes it into the entryway is because that's where they put the bulletin when they come home from church on Sunday morning. And we know that's the truth, don't we? But if we truly are a church that is set and focused on making disciples, that is, followers of Jesus Christ, then we, could, we should all agree that that's not good enough to keep Jesus in some back closet. It's not good enough to say, Jesus lives in the church and He made it into my home because there sits the bulletin. I forgot to throw it out before I came in the door. But that's the call, isn't it? To make disciples. That's all Jesus left us to do, is to make disciples. But we can't make disciples if we first are not disciples ourselves. If our lives are not designed around Jesus. Some hard truth for us. What about you? What about you? How have you designed your house? How have you designed your life? Is it focused around Jesus? Or would you acknowledge today, yeah, yeah, yeah that, that's me. That's me. I, I notice Jesus is not central in my life. He's not made a, 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 he's not a prominent portion of my life. Maybe you would even agree today as you examine your life and think about how do you want your house, how do you want your life designed, you would even agree today and say, yeah, I see many areas of my life that if Jesus was removed, nobody would notice any difference. Let's consider these words of Abraham Lincoln again. A house divided against itself cannot stand. He said, I do expect it will cease to be divided. It will become all of one thing or all of another. Some of us this morning, we, we, we gather together and we would acknowledge we don't know if we can stand much longer. We will cease to be divided. Our lives, let me tell you this, our lives will cease to be divided. You will be all of one or all of the other. Jesus makes no secret of that. And in the end, that's what it comes down to. We will stand before Jesus and He will say, were you sold out for me? Did you do what I called you to do? Did you live in the way that I called you to live? 
He's not going to say, did you pray the prayer that I called you to pray? Did you make it to church 80% of the time? No. He's not even going to say, now this might hurt. He's not even going to say, did you tithe every week? No, he's going to say, did you live the way I called you to live? Were you sold out for me? And see, my goal at the end of my life is that I hear those words of Jesus, well done, good and faithful servant. And my purpose, the purpose of my life, is to see first and foremost that my family hears those words of Jesus. That they can stand before Jesus on the day of judgment completely blameless before Him. That's my goal. Secondary is to see all of you and to prepare you in such a way that you can stand before Jesus blameless. What a glorious day that should be. And it will be if we center our lives and make Jesus the center of our lives. But again, the truth is, your house, your life, cannot continue to be divided. It will be all of one or all of the other. Listen again to Mark 3.27. Jesus' words, No one can enter a strong man's house unless he first ties up the strong man. Then he can rob his house. I said some, in referring to Abraham Lincoln's words, some feel like they can't stand any longer. Some of us feel like we are completely tied up, completely bound, restricted in everything that we do. Jesus said, no one can enter a strong man's house until he first ties him up. And I want to tell you, Satan is trying to tie so many of us up these days so that he can rob us, he can steal us. Our every, our joy, He can steal our, our love, He can steal everything that truly matters to Jesus. And it's working. And Jesus said He wants to free us, and, and if we would place Him as the center of our lives, He would free us and everything else would revolve around Him. To the point where when, when we are, are, are bombarded with temptation, we can say, no, no, I recognize that, and it's not going to work. Jesus has delivered me from that. When we, see, when we see muddy shoes, I talked about that a couple weeks ago, right? We see muddy shoes start to come into our house, we can stop it at the door and say, absolutely not, that does not belong in my house anymore. Praise the Lord. No one can enter a strong man's house until he first ties him up and then he will rob him blind. Only by being filled with Jesus can you be set free today. Do you believe that? Filled with Jesus. Not accept Jesus. Did I wake you up? I'm glad. See, because sometimes we talk about accepting Jesus, but accepting Jesus is not enough. Not for, not for those of us who have claimed to have walked with Jesus for many, many years. No, we should be filled with Jesus. should be exuding from us, flowing over. People should see it on our faces and hear it in our words. Earlier, I encouraged you to consider that question. How do you want your house designed? Is there a key element in your house in which you want everything else to flow around? Maybe it's a waterfall, right? Waterfalls are good. If they're planned, if they're well, well designed. Let's talk about the different portions of a house. Can we do that? Let's talk about the different portions of a house. You got your entryway. How many of you have an entryway in your house? 
two people, so I hope I don't lose you. Let me describe an entryway. An entryway, in case you don't know what it is, an entryway is where you welcome your guests. You welcome them in, you open the door. Usually, we've got, a, we've got a nice entry over at the parsonage. You should come over. If you've never visited the parsonage, just come over. Come over in the middle of the day and surprise Kim. She's not in here. Just, just come on over. Hey, just came by to visit with you a little bit and demand that you get past the entryway because the entryway, the entryway looks really, really nice in most homes. We can, we can decorate and have, have, by the way, there's, um, there's a really, really nice floor in the entryway of the parsonage. When you get back to the uh, utility room right off the garage, it's not a nice floor. I mean, the, 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 the one that's like a little storage room in the garage. Nobody goes in there. It's just really storage. It's, it's a laminate floor. It's good. But it's not nearly as nice as the entryway floor, which is ceramic tile. We've painted the entry. We've decorated the entry. But you see, here's the, the key. If that's what our home is designed around as the entryway of our lives, then we let people in, but we let people know further. And what those people don't know is that the rest of our house can be falling apart. It can be in shambles. Kids hanging off of chandeliers. The foundation's giving way and the whole back of the house is, is slanted down. Right? Everything else can be falling apart, but as long as our entryway looks nice, we're happy. So we should not design our house around our entryway because then all we have is acquaintances in our lives that don't know that inside we are falling apart. And very soon, when that foundation gives way, the entryway is giving way too. It's falling apart. It's gone. There's nothing else left. Let's go a little bit further into the house. So you've got your entryway. I want you to picture this with me. You've got your entryway, and then right inside there you have your living room. Ah, the living room. That's where you do life with your friends, right? You, you invite them in. Come on in. I know you. I trust you. Come on in. Sit down. You've got a comfortable couch in there. This is where you, 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 you kind of start to open up. And you, you tell people a little bit more about you. If you design your house around your living room, then you, maybe, maybe it's designed around friends. It's designed around those relationships that you have with other people. So you go through your, your living room and then into your family room, right? Your family room. That's where you do life with family. Even very, very close friends, loved ones. And you definitely open up to them. And you let them know that there, are, that there are hurts in your life. They've seen a good portion of your house up to this point. And so you let them know, hey, there are some areas in my house that are kind of falling apart. Maybe you've even made some apologies for portions of your house, portions of your life. And you've said, you know what? Please forgive me. This is a weakness in my life. This is a temptation that I deal with. I want you to know about it so that you can, you can talk to me about it. You can address me about these things. So we've got our entryway for acquaintances. We've got our living room for our friends. We've got our family room for our family. And then the kitchen. Ah, the ki That's a big deal nowadays. If you watch these home design shows, the, the, the wives always, generally, I want a really nice gourmet kitchen. I don't even know what a gourmet kitchen is, but it sounds really good, doesn't it? Your kitchen. That's where you meet the needs of other people, right? And if our homes, our lives are designed around meeting the needs of other people, 
it's a very good thing. We can say, yeah, I serve a lot. And I, I pour into other people a lot. I, 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 I meet their needs. But the truth of the matter is, in the kitchen, if we're always serving the needs of other people, then we don't have our own needs met either. We meet everybody else's needs. But our needs sometimes suffer. And that's what we have the bathroom for, isn't it? You can go into the bathroom. You can shut the door because nobody's allowed in the bathroom with you. Right? Am I, am I right? Yeah, give, give me an amen for that. Nobody's allowed in the bathroom with you. That's a cardinal rule for me in our home. Kids, no, get out. This is my space. Because this is where I meet my... Is this getting grotesque? Good. This is where I meet my personal needs. Let me just talk about shaving, right? Brushing my teeth. My personal needs are met and nobody else's in the bathroom. Now, not one person here would say, I designed my entire house around a bathroom. But the truth of the matter is, some of our lives are designed around meeting our own personal needs. And we say, nobody else is allowed into, the, in, into, into my personal space. My life is designed to make sure that my needs are met. And I don't care if your needs are met. I don't care if somebody's sitting out in my family room right now and they really, really want a cup of coffee. I'm in the bathroom. I got my makeup to do before I come out of here. So we've got our entry, we've got our living room, we've got our family room, we've got our kitchen, we've got our bathroom, and then finally, our bedroom. Everybody has a bedroom in their house. It's unless you live in a studio. But the bedroom in my house, you have to have a bedroom because that's where you spend time alone. That's where you have those, those intimate moments and you, and you let all of your guard down and you are seen for who you are. Now let me ask. Picturing this house, the entry, the, the living room, the family room, the kitchen, the bathroom, the, the bedroom, where is Jesus in your house? Because some of us have put Jesus right in the, the center of the, the entry. Some of us have contained Jesus to our living room and no further, yes, the acquaintances and our friends get to see Jesus, but our friends, they see a side of us, or our, our loved ones, our family, they see a side of us that they would never, they would never say, that's Jesus. Some of us have, have closed Jesus off in the bathroom or the bedroom. We'd say, hey, Jesus, you're not allowed out of here. That's it. No more. But let me encourage you to do this. It's going to sound odd as I talk about designing your house around a key element or a key room. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to design your house around, or I want you to, to, to place Jesus as, as the hallway of your home. The, the, the one that flows throughout all of your home. Because as I designed, or as I described this floor plan for you, what I did not acknowledge was that there's no way to connect all of these different rooms without that hallway that runs throughout the house. There's no way to get from your family to your bathroom, your family room to your bathroom. Jesus is the one and should be the one that flows throughout our entire house, the one that flows throughout our entire life and makes everything else connect. So, let's talk about our plan. Phase one of the building plan. Here it is. It's in your bulletin. Number one, evaluate your house plan. 
Take a look at it. Spread it out before you. Even, and in, in, I know this sounds crazy, but even sketch it out. Put, some, put some, some real time into this and say, these are my priorities. These are the commitments in my life. Pull out your check registry. That's a dangerous thing, isn't it? Because that's where you really see where your priorities lie. Sketch it out. Say, these are my priorities. Family fits here. Friends fit here. God fits right here. Take out your, your, your uh, calendar. That's another measure device of where your priorities lie. Where do you spend your time? And then acknowledge that division. Recognize that division in your life. Look for conflictions in your plan. As, as I lay out this plan, which is one I actually drew in college, I lay this out and I've got a first and second floor on this plan. And do you know what my professor would have said if he took the first floor or the second floor and put it on top of the first floor and it didn't line up? You know what he would have said? You failed. Well, he would have said you're an idiot because that's the kind of guy he was. But um, he would have given me an F. Why? Because if I had the second floor on top of the first floor and the, 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 the support didn't line up, I didn't have the beams lined up, if the first floor didn't line up with the foundation plan, the whole thing is going to crumble. It might not be today, it might not be tomorrow, but down the road, it's going to crumble. It's going to fall apart. And that's exactly what he would have said to me here. So, the second step in phase one is to... Look for conflictions. Look for any, uh, any areas that do not line up. Even look for duality in your life. We'll talk more about that. The third step then, label any problem areas. You know what they do on an architectural plan when there's problem areas? They take a bright red pin, they circle it, and they say, this is it, this needs to be changed. We should do the same thing in our life, and it might take some time. But we should be willing to do that. And then finally, once we have the entire perfect house plan laid out, once we've sought God out and said, God, is this the plan that you have for my life? I want you to sign it. Make a commitment. Put it in writing. Make it permanent before the Lord. Say, this is what I'm committing to doing. It might not look like that today, but this is my commitment and this is what I'm submitting to you, God. See, because when we do that, we start to align our lives, our plan, and our plan starts to look like God's plan for us. And as I said before, it might take some time. It might take some time. It might require some re reconstruction. It might require a lot of demolition. Walls are taken out. Doorways are opened up. But it's going to be worth it. And only then can we experience the, the warmth, the comfort in our lives that Jesus wants to, to, to bring to us. And listen to this. If you go from a house that's very segmented, a life that's very segmented, and you take down the walls and you open it up and you say, God, you're allowed into this whole thing. Guess what? Every single time that you enter your home for, for quite a while, it's going to feel odd. You're going to walk in and say, wow, I can't believe this is my home. I can't believe now that the, the, the joy that I have in my life, now that I've opened it up completely to God. I can't believe how these, these the, the, I can't believe that I waited this long to surrender it all to 
the Lord. So my encouragement to you, as we begin this process of house plan, we begin this process of, of aligning our priorities and our commitments with God, my encouragement to you is to make a plan, acknowledge any division, make a commitment and sign it before the Lord. Father God, work in our lives. This is a process. It's not a one-time, um, quick fix. Jesus, work in our lives. Because only this is only possible through your Holy Spirit. This is only possible, God, with you. Work in our lives as we ask that big question, how do we want our house designed? How do you want our house designed? How do you want our lives designed around you? And Jesus, we will give you the glory. We will give you the praise for working in our lives. Jesus, we thank you and praise you. Amen.